Okay, hi everyone. This is Prep Yourself on a field trip. We are literally in motion on the 405 to Bothell. Crazy. We're following up insurance with Bothell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people came at us after that hard-hitting insurance episode and were like, listen, if you could add more excitement to my day with your enthusiasm over boring things and boring places. Bothell. <laughs> uh, but for real, we are headed to, um, we, we were <laughs> mysteriously invited by a representative from the Pacific Northwest FEMA, Region 10. And so we're going to go and meet with uh, them right now. And they are going to take us on a tour of their bunker. Did he call it a bunker or did you call it a bunker? He called it a bunker. Peter called it a bunker. And then he said, it's not as cool as it sounds. But in my head, we're going to NASA Control Center right now. <laughs> so I think the bunker is going to be like a warehouse situation. I think it's going to be like a, like we're going to go in and it'll be like rows of like warehouse stuff. I think we're going 20 floors below ground and there will be multiple computers or it's like a 1950s version of like a sci-fi movie where they keep aliens that they want to hide from the public. My other thought is if that is what's happening, they actually are, they're like, oh, these would be fun people to reprogram. So here's the thing. If we're not funny this week, it's because FEMA <laughs> reprogrammed us. <laughs> it is not the fault of our sense of humor. It is FEMA who did it to us. I'm driving and trying not to kill us. All right. I think it's going to work. Okay. So I'm going to stop uh, causing distracted driving through my excitement of going to FEMA. And we will tell you more later. Bye. Uh, just a little peanut gallery comment here. Uh, what you're about to hear is the tour portion of our trip to FEMA. And I think that you should know before we started that tour, though, there was the arrival to FEMA <laughs> Region 10. Yes. Uh, we were super ready to flash our IDs and be like, we are guests of Peter Sessman. And then the guy was like, cool. Okay. <laughs> Just the two of you? Uh. <laughs> Well, well, is, well, is Peter expecting other people? Like, <laughs> other podcasters coming? He didn't think we were funny. Um, so I think he did think we were funny. Okay, good. I thought he was bashful about us <laughs> making jokes at the gate. He's like, you think we're so important. And then he was. He asked us if we knew where we were going, and we were like, no, no, because we did not know how big of a place it is, but it was really just like just around. We were just going through a parking lot, essentially. Uh, but then he was like, watch out for all the armored vehicles coming through. We were like, wait, where are we? Apparently they share space with the, the National, National Guard. Guard. Yeah. Sounds like they like co-office together. <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah, there were several Humvees ready to do some drills. So yeah. that was pretty exciting. I thought they were going to ask us to come, but they didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, when we got out, we definitely looked really burly. I mean, 
you had your like fresh business blazer on, like looking really cool. We wore blazers. This is how serious it was. <laughs> we got dressed up. Also, I brought my crutches. <laughs> Which also make an appearance during this episode. <laughs> but we were greeted by the very awesome Peter and uh, his coworker Jackie. So Peter does uh, external affairs for FEMA Region 10. And Jackie is, I think, the director of the response plan for FEMA. God, we are the worst. Lex is looking at me like I'm going to like add to what she's saying. Like, I have no idea. Uh-huh. I just showed up on crutches Barely got through security because they told me to put my stuff down. And then he, like, helped me with my crutches. But then my boots had metal on God, it was. I was like, Danny, I can't take you anywhere. <laughs> and they're so excited. Like, Peter and Jackie are, like, really excited to greet us. and Because I guess they're not just, like, bringing podcasters in every day. I think we're pretty exclusive. And then there's a giant picture of the president. And vice president. Not the president of my heart, but the actual current president, yeah. who is the boss of the people of FEMA. And the VP, and I guess the director of FEMA was the third. Yep. Was, was the trio. Yep. So that's what we're looking at, and then gazing at each other, being like, what are we doing here? But then we were just <laughs> brought right in. Yeah, then the, then the tour started. And this is some stuff that's going to happen. Lex is going to win. <laughs> I'm going to cause trouble in an elevator. She's going to try and steal people's snacks. <laughs> and it's going to be a fun time. Enjoy. So so you are in uh, the FEMA Region 10, FEMA Regional um, Coordination Center. This is the, what's what this is called, the FRC, the FEMA Regional Center. Okay. So it used to be a continuity of government facility. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But as you see, we walk down a long hallway. You're about 10 feet underground right now. Mm-hmm. And when we go downstairs, you'll be about two and a half stories underground. This, I knew it! Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so this is a blast door. This oh is literally God. a blast door. So this, this facility used to be completely self-contained. Even the toilets were on a shock absorber so that it could withstand uh, a near direct blast. That, remember, this is, this is Cold War era stuff, uh-huh. right? When we were really worried that Russia was, gonna, was just gonna bomb us with everything they had. So this, that's what this is about. This is a, um, about an eight inch solid steel door, kind of like a ship door, you know, uh-huh. where that you close it and you latch it. Right. And it, um, the facility used to have its own um, ability to recirculate its own air, recirculate and clean its own water, all of those kinds of things. That no longer exists. The facility itself, the inner workings of it, isn't like that anymore. So we've updated a lot of stuff when we are on city water, we're on regular power, although we have backup generators in case something happens and the power goes out here so we can continue our mission as long as the facility is standing, right? Right. in essence, it's like every other, it's almost like every other building. We have continuity for communications and electricity that are still here, but we're on, again, we're on city water, so, you yeah. know, and we've redone the toilets because we had to. Because, <laughs> because, 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 because from, plumbing started leaking. From so, 60 years ago. Yeah, from, not the best. From, yeah. from when it was, this building was completed in 1968. Oh, wow. So, and it's, the building itself was actually only intended to be here for 20 years. 
Wow. So they didn't expect that it would still be here, and it still is. Oh, Good nice. job, guys. So this floor, we're going to walk down this way because because I don't want to take you down the stairs. Oh, we have a you. freight elevator <gasps> that we're going to ride downstairs into. It's only one floor, so it's not really that exciting. It's kind of smelly. Uh, but oh, great. This, so this floor has, this building has response and recovery in it. And for us, what that means is responses downstairs, which is where our coordination center is, and recovery are the people who do grants management and provide support to people and infrastructure. So when individuals are impacted after an incident and they need support with sheltering or they need support for temporary housing and things like that or medical support that they can't get through regular insurance or or things like that because the systems aren't working the way they're intended after a disaster we have a group of people here who solely focus on people and pets it's all they do Wow. Yeah, it's totally awesome. It's <laughs> totally we awesome. We have the FEMA app. We've signed up. Uh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And the other group that's here, in the, it's, and it's called Recovery, is the infrastructure folks who help local jurisdictions and state and local agencies recover from bad things that happen, culverts that break, bridges that break, um, fire stations, police stations, ambulances, hospitals. If you think of the things that keep society functioning, that belong in the general field of government, whether it's local or state or federal, this group of people here does grants to help them pay for the stuff that isn't covered by insurance. Um, is there a person who's making sure that my Netflix subscription still works? Because That's private industry. <laughs> <laughs> totally private industry. Not my game. Um, However, have... we do have private sector people who do talk to the, 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 the private sector yes. industry. Nice. Stuff. We um, actually do. So, so, and That's cool. Yeah. So, our, so FEMA is organized so that we have, so you know the preparedness cycle, right? Where you talk about preparedness and then you go to response and recovery and mitigation, and then you try to fix things, you try to improve things, and you bring it back around again. So we have a preparedness division in every region, in all 10 regions across FEMA, including our headquarters, and their sole mission is working with federal, state, and local agencies and individuals because we also coordinate CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, so that's part, that's one of the pieces that's our mission. But we go, that group can go into schools and they work the state and um, sometimes regional preparedness conferences that we have. We have people who come and talk. So we have that whole mission. We have preparedness, we have response, we have recovery, and then we have a branch called mitigation. Right. I mean, a division called mitigation. And their job is to look at what happens across the spectrum from flood to earthquake, to rainstorms, to mudslides, to and what happens to the infrastructure and what happens to people in those areas that are impacted. And they help offer grants and education for how to improve. What does it look like if you have a two-foot culvert and every time it rains a lot, it blows out? Is it a four-foot culvert? Is it a six-foot culvert? Is it something else? Is, is it, it a floodgate? Is it place? diverting yeah. it? All of For those sure. things. So, so FEMA's job really in emergency management is kind of a holistic thing, right? right. Our job is to lessen or avert a catastrophe right. to individuals 
communities and states. That's our job. Awesome. That's kind of it in a nutshell. What <laughs> I do, that, just, right? Just saving everyone. <laughs> and it's, well, and it's a complicated thing because because peop, it's a lot of stuff that people don't really want to talk about. Right. right? Yeah. I know that you guys are. We run into those. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I know that you guys are talking about prep yourself. Right. right. And and so what that means to people is very different. Right. When we when I talk about disasters and how they impact people, a single house fire is catastrophic mm-hmm. to an individual family. Right. We don't think about that, right? I mean, as a, as a community, it's hard for us to understand that if you, if you imagine that happening to you and everything is gone, everything about your life changed that day. If you're lucky, nobody's injured, nobody's killed, you didn't lose your pets, right. and all you lost is the physical. But what that means to you is that you could have lost your insurance papers, you could mm-hmm. lose your identification, all right. of those pieces play a role in recovery. Yeah. Right? So this is what we do. So we're going to go down this elevator, and it's loud. How do we get invited to that to speak at that conference? <laughs> <laughs> National, no local, answer. regional. <laughs> How many people work in this building? We have 200 people throughout the region about that. Right. And that, um, so. And the region's Oregon, Washington, Alaska. Alaska. Okay. So Alaska area office, but this is the headquarters for the region. So generally everybody, um, we just have the office here and then Alaska because just about far away. Yeah. And do you guys have extra space if there was a, uh, an actual disaster where like, it's just like empty kind of office area for people to come and because this was built 60 years ago yeah. for 20 years in mine. <laughs> yeah. And just having... Come on, do it. We'll all learn together. You might have to do the door close. I tried it. Oh, yeah. It's not behaving. Oh, you might be in it. Yeah, you were in the same it was your personality. It was too big I'm a for the. You are a block. Danny can relate. Would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think we're going 25 floors below ground. Yeah. <laughs> only, sadly, it's only one. <laughs> the rate we're going is going to take us a couple of days. Yes. <laughs> Tell Lily that Lex loves her. Oh, we're here. Okay. No, literally, we are like, you said two floors below we're now, ground? We're now a little more than two floors below ground, and it's noisy getting out of here. And smelly. I don't know if you okay. guys watch oh. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but they do a lot of movies. Right? <laughs> Love that show. I think it smells great. It's about to end. Cafeteria? That's my jam. So this is our, this is our small cafeteria. <laughs> I know it's all about food, right? Yeah. And there's nice. hardly anything left, because... Because it's the beginning of the month and they haven't come through yet. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, you guys have to be Yeah, come on, guys, put yourself. Like Zen garden. Like, yeah. 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 Having a long You never know what kind of features you're going to see in there. <laughs> Get out. Okay. It is. So, this is our regional response coordination center. This is completely Can living up to really my oh, expectations. Okay. Okay, 
I predicted NASA Control Center, and it's pretty close to that. <laughs> if you've actually been to the NASA Control Center, this is nearly as cool. Sorry, <laughs> but no, I haven't been there. So I have a little. I have a little bit of a brief, and okay. I know your your um, listeners can't see it, but we'll talk about it. Sure. Okay. So this is called the Regional Response Coordination Center. Every regional office has one. So every, every office has one of these to be, we are, so we're the focal point of the federal government's coordination in support of state and local jurisdictions. We can stand this up when we think something's going to happen, mm. like a flood mm-hmm. or a mudslide or a big storm coming in, you know, so we can bring our federal partners in here to be prepared to respond to something and we can bring them in because something happened, like a no-notice event, like an, like an earthquake, right? Right. Whether it's a big one or a small one, whether it's here in one of our states, um, it just depends on, on when we're going to do that. So I got a little bit of history about this building. Yeah. So this used to be one of 10 Nike missile sites in Seattle because Seattle, back during the Cold War, Seattle was considered... A, a a target, a reachable target Why? for for missiles. Boeing? Be, well, because that's be, because of Bremerton. Because lots of things. Yeah. I mean, you can probably think of lots of reasons why. I think we said, but it's also, uh-huh. but it's also because it's the northern, it's the northernmost tier of what we consider the continental United States, right? And then there's Canada, and then Alaska is considered outside of the continental United States, even though it's attached to it, but, but because it's so far away, you know, it's a three hour and change flight to Anchorage. Uh-huh. So that's why it was considered a target. Okay. So this building is, is the only building like this. There were 10, there were nine other sites that had missiles, but they didn't have, a, it wasn't a facility like this. So there were two things that happened. Uh, this was started in 1964. And if you look up here, it tells you that this was operational from 1957 to 1964 as a missile site. What it used to have on it was a little tiny building and um, military dudes running around who were ready because everybody was ready, right? (laughs) You girls aren't old enough to remember hiding under your desks. I am old enough to remember the the CD inside the triangle with the yellow on it. Uh Uh-huh. That we used to practice when I was a kid. Right. Getting under your desk as if somehow that was gonna save you. Duck I don't know. Cover. And I lived in I lived in Detroit. Duck and cover <laughs> duck. There you go. <laughs> so this was also a continuity of government relocation site. This was the place where we would be able to hopefully get the governor and um, any other senior leaders who, from the state and federal government who were in this geographic area in here to save them and put them in there and lock the doors, you know. And <clears throat> again, they'd be drinking their own water over and over again, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. It cleans it. It cleans Lance it. going to try that out later this week. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it cleans I'm not it. trying that out. <laughs> but, so in, 19, in 1979, they, the, the U.S. government sunsetted the Defense Civil Preparedness Agency, and that's when FEMA was created. Because we went from a sense of, oh my God, the world's out to get us to, hey, probably we really should focus on how do we take care of ourselves when bad things happen, whether it's man-made or natural occurrences. 
fires, floods, hurricanes, earthquakes, all of yeah. those things, right? Because the world is out to get us, but it's like the natural world. <laughs> Mother <laughs> Earth is. Necessarily Mother nature. Mother yeah. nature. She's not necessarily nice, and she doesn't really like people because we're always in her way. Right? She does not care. So, so in 1979, on um, my favorite day of the year, April Fool's Day, nice. FEMA was actually born. Yay! <laughs> and we celebrate every year on April Fool's yep. that we've got this whole emergency <laughs> management thing under control. We're totally people. prepared. We're totally not prepared everything. for everything. So... So we so so we became FEMA and the mission changed from ha- readiness for some other group coming at us to readiness for how do we help the American people and the local state and federal governments be ready to respond to whatever happens it's a ve- it was a very big mindset change because we didn't we'd stopped looking necessary it's not that it's not that defense wasn't important it's that we recognized that the only way that we could be ready for anything was to actually teach people to be ready for it right Mm -hmm. absolutely and how do you and how do you mitigate ahead of time and how do you do all of those things that are important but they seem like somebody else is already doing them and they seem far away yeah Yeah. and they and it's over there and, and bad things happen to other people right they don't really happen to me right right so, like, when we talked about the house fire upstairs, people don't want to talk about that because they're like, well, that doesn't happen to me yeah. until it does. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a whole lot of stuff that you got to deal with. Right. So, this facility that you're looking at, and this has got, uh, we have about 75 desks in total. We bring in people from other federal agencies. We have FEMA employees who come down here. We have people from the Department of Transportation, from Communications from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, from the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management for firefighting. Right. We bring in, we can bring in state and tribal liaisons if we need them from impacted states and or tribes. If they want to come here and have a seat at the table right here in this early coordination days. Because everybody has their own emergency operations centers or coordination centers. Tribes do, states do, all the cities do. So they already have all of that, but if they want to have somebody here who can be kind of a conduit for them, they can do that. We invite them to come. So, and then we have GSA, the General Services Administration, because they get stuff for us. We have HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, because they do all the medical things and they help with um, sheltering, medical sheltering and hospitals and, you know, helping that stand up and all those things. And we have the urban search and rescue in case bad things happen to buildings like the big earthquake right right and I'm sorry the what the big <laughs> earthquake. i know right i you knew you were waiting for that i know alexis i know you were waiting for that and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute yeah. okay the we have the environmental protection agency for hazardous materials things that happen both spills oil spills and if they're caused by the disaster oil spills and hazardous stuff because you know we don't. We live in such a clean world that we never actually have to worry about yeah, water and land and people no. being Mm-mm. impacted by bad things on a yeah. railway, in a plane, For in sure. a boat, on the water, yeah. on the ground, or any of those things. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to worry about that. We use USDA yeah. for um, to get food, like from schools, the Food and Nutrition Services. So we have all of these people, the Department of Energy, for power, electricity, 
and how that works, how the grid works, all those things. How many agencies? So we, there are, we have a, I'm trying to remember how many actually signed the national response framework. I think it's 37. Yeah. But almost every department, so every federal department, like the Department of Defense, and the Department of Agriculture, big, you know, the big departments, right. and they all have sub-agencies underneath them. All of the departments in the of the United States government have signed on to that, including the Department of State. So what that means is everybody's a partner in all of this. Right. So we have um, federal police, we have long-term recovery, and then we have external affairs, which is who brought you to us today. Right. Every single agency, Yay. that's right. Peter! <laughs> and every single agency has somebody who represents them. Right. Our job is to just, for, and I'm going to use EA as the external affairs as kind of an example. They ha every agency has a story to tell about what they're doing to get ready and what they're doing to respond, right? Our job is to ensure that those messages are all synchronized and that one agency isn't saying, we're over here doing this on the left and another agency says, we're over here doing this on the right when they're actually both doing the same thing. Right. Because our job is to help frame the picture so that it's not so confusing to the disaster survivors. Because that's what happens. I mean, you guys kind of saw what happened in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico and the US Virgin Islands and stuff. And it's really hard when you're impacted to understand what's happening, right? right? If you've ever had to call 911 or you've ever really had a sick kid yep. and you're terrified and you don't know, you're not exactly, you know what you think you need to know, but you don't know what you actually need to know. So our job is to help frame that for people to make the system work for them instead of having them have to work the system. Right. That's really what we're trying to get at. And the struggle is that we're a bureaucracy. So, so there's, we're, we try to find that balance between you having to work the system and us having the system work for you to the best of our ability. So that's the balance that we strike. So we have lots of people and we have the entire federal government at the ready to support us. That's our job. Right. And our job is to coordinate all of that. So we're all trying to meet the single mission, which is to get the right stuff to the right place at the right time. Nice. Well, it's I a big it. job and it's not easy to do. <laughs> and it's, but it's what we time. love to do, yeah, right? right? And it's a the I feel like this is a this is a noble mission. Emergency management is probably um, one of the greatest things that you can do. And people do it at all different levels. There are firefighters, there are emergency medical technicians, there are paramedics, there are local emergency managers, there are Red Cross volunteers, there are Southern Baptist volunteers who go, all of those people are actually emergency managers. They just have a piece of that job, but that's what they do, whether it's a very large disaster or a house fire where the Red Cross comes and they bring their little herb, their emergency response vehicle to a family and to the firefighters who are there who are mopping up, who feed them and provide them comfort and give them blankets. That's emergency management from at the very smallest level. But when you think about that truck and what it takes to get that truck there with those people, yeah. the, the logistics and the foresight and the willingness to do that depends on everybody. 
to be able to make those things happen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I think Danny and I can really relate to that. <laughs> We're really out there We're responding t- to a lot part. of emergencies. We're doing the prepping part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's what we lost before. I mean, that's, that's, um, we had this nice, big, long mission statement before, mm-hmm. and it's now been simplified. Helping people before, during, and after disasters. You're the before part. Yes. And we're the we're one of the few agencies, organizations that's really trying to work our way out of a job. The more we mitigate, the more we repair, the less we're needed. So we'd be happy if we weren't needed after a tornado passes or after a hurricane goes by. It'd be great. We'll always need you. We 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 refer to FEMA as the agency that knows a guy. <laughs> like you know that is that is totally us, right? Like, to I know a guy. Yeah. I don't and and so You can use job, that. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> well I do, I actually do use it. Statement. I use it I use it all the time because yeah. so my job is that I am the chief of operations for FEMA Region Ten. So my job is to make sure that all the mitigation efforts and all the mitigation training and all the preparedness training and all of those things and all the contacts that we have because our one of our mottos is the first time I need you shouldn't be the first time I meet you. Oh, right? Yeah. And that, that goes all the way back to the individual preparedness, right? The first time I need to know where my kid's rally point is in a school shouldn't be the day that something happens and I have to figure that out. Mm, right? You're inspiring me. I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but those are, but, but that's, so this is all, this is all, they're intangibles. Emergency management, there's a lot of, there's science that goes into a lot of the readiness pieces. How do you measure? How do you count? How do you, how do you plan your escape? All of those things. But there's a lot of art with this. And that's because we deal with people right and I know that you girls probably get a lot of yeah buts from people Mm -hmm. and you know the Heisman I could do that but right now I'm kind of busy I got I got to stiff arm you and get out of the way because I got to go to shopping I got to go to a movie or whatever those things that's how Danny got hurt (laughs) (laughs) somebody somebody gave her the Heisman stiff arm on the no I will get extra water (laughs) they're like no you won't yeah there's a lot of people that don't want to hear that they don't want to think about it well, and, and we can talk about, so let's talk about um, preparedness in Seattle for a minute. How many people live in multifamily dwellings now mm-hmm. and are more like New York City where people don't shop and have, first of all, they don't have enough space to really plan for a lot of stuff, right? A lot of people don't have garages and we're going to we're not even going to go to how we are building without places to, for people to park in the city of Seattle. Yes. That's making me crazy. <laughs> and that's my and the, own emergency. But but the reason so f- but from my perspective, okay, this goes to preparedness, right? If I don't have a place to park, it means I probably don't have a garage. If I don't have a garage, I don't have a place to store emergency food rations, extra water, blankets, things that are going to be important if I have pets, extra extra cat, dog, goldfish, whatever you got, you know, gerbil food, whatever. You don't have a place to do that now. And so it becomes a challenge. So not only is it a challenge because a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and we tell them, you know, you really have to have, we used to say three days, right? Three days, three ways. Now we're saying two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's more people and the impacts that are happening are so much more devastating to people. So how do we get that message out? So there's a couple of things, um, and I can't remember if it's the Red Cross or FEMA, that, that there are places where you can go and they help you budget 
literally what to buy and how to buy it and how to how to break your budget out so that you can put food aside and you can figure out how to put your medicines aside so that you don't have to try to buy it all at once because that can be really overwhelming if you have a family of five absolutely mm -hmm. right and one or more of them happens to be a ginormous eating machine of a teenage boy. <laughs> You're speaking from experience. Yeah. I, I raised three. I raised three. And and when my children were growing up, our single largest bill was food. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. So when you think about that, how do we message that? How do we get people to really say, this is important to me right. and this is important to my family? And I think it's great that, that you guys are doing just that and trying to encourage the conversation about personal readiness and how do we teach our how do we really teach our children we've seen some pretty good and some actually horrifying examples <laughs> of teenage use of cell phones in bad situations oh wow right yeah, we've seen absolutely. both yeah. where where children are able to text their parents and say i i just we just literally had this with a coworker who had a child in a school in lockdown. That child immediately texted and um, went to, oh yeah, the next one. This is the one you wanna talk about. So how do, we, how do we do that, right? How do we communicate so that the important messages are being, I'm, I'm safe, I'm secure, right. I'm still safe, I'm still secure, we're out of lockdown, all clear. Right. Right, because what's happening simultaneously are messages from schools and children about what's happening. Mm. And for lots of people, they don't know that text messaging is the best way to go. If you still have the ability to communicate, do not try to call people. Mm -mm. Right, text. Right, tiny little bandwidth. Right, and not everybody's calling. So this goes back to stop doing your Facebook live feed of right? what's happening. Yeah. Stop videotaping people injured. Right. It's not really what we want to see. Not appropriate. So. One of the things that we do in the area of preparedness and in the response division, which is where I work, is where we are responsible for this. We develop deliberate plans. Not that you guys have heard anything about Cascadia subductions and <laughs> the very large earthquake and the coast is toast. Mm -hmm. Not that you've heard Ooh, anything coast is about toast. that. I, I think it's called the tiny one. Yeah. yeah. It's called don't worry about it. The itty bitty don't worry about it one. Yeah, you don't have to worry. Not that the end of it actually is at the northern end of the San Andreas Fault either. Yeah. So yeah, we've we seen the movie, know that, right? Yeah. Ten and San Andreas, right? If only the Rock will come and save us in his boat. He's going Girl. to. I mean, we've invited him. I'm hoping. Him. I'm hoping that happens. I keep watching his so, movies. So our job is to look at. So we plan two ways. We talk about most likely, and then we talk about the most dangerous. Those are the really the two extremes that we really look at, and the reason we do that is that pretty much everything in between we can cover. Mm -hmm. Right, and for us, the most common is flood. It happens all the time in all of our states. Every single one of our states, every single year, gets impacted by flooding. Anybody have their roads flood where they live ever? Um, I lived in Alabama when I was young, and so there's the Cahaba River, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. which flooded out the capital of Alabama several times. Yes, uh, so that I got to actually when I was small, like. You know, like there would be times a year where you uh -huh. drive up to where you go into town 
and there just was water and people would be playing on their boats it only lasted a few days you know because it was just a part of the natural life there it Mm -hmm. wasn't really kind of considered an emergency but nobody lived in the floodplains it was all uh like parks like city parks and stuff so that's one of the things now that FEMA is really keen on, <laughs> right. right, is super keen on, is identifying those areas that where the threat is redundant. And how do we d- reduce the impacts to people? And we do things like build parks. Right. Yeah. All over the state of Washington, we're doing, we do things like that every year. And so, we're, again, it's threat reduction, right? right? And how do you mitigate those threats? And when, we, when people live at the bottom of a hill with a hill behind them or the top of the hill and they can stand in their front yard and look down the edge of a hill right right or you live and you can stand and you can in your yard you can walk out and touch your water whether it's a river a lake or the ocean right those are all risks right so we have things like flood flood insurance the national flood insurance program why do we have that because water <laughs> and because water and people. Right. What you talked about on your last podcast. Right. right. And because we have water yeah. and people and infrastructure. Right. And every time we change, was, you know, we talk about Mother Nature, right? Every time we change the way things were, there's an impact in the natural world. Right. And it's our job because we're humans. That's what we do, right? right. We want to live where it's beautiful. Well, wildfires <laughs> in California. Mm-hmm. And that was one of our things, I don't, and I don't know that you can answer this, but kind of we just have become curious about uh, why is there national flood insurance and not national fire insurance? Or So we actually, you know, that, yeah. that's the thing is like, if you want to talk about NFIP, I have mitigation people if you want to come awesome. back that are happy, to, that be happy yeah. to talk to you. Absolutely. They'll talk about the and flood the insurance, and, and I'm yeah. not sure, I'm not sure we have, as an agency, I'm not sure we have an answer for you about um, why, national why fire insurance, yeah. but they can talk to you about the national flood yeah. insurance program in depth and kind awesome. of what that means to people and why we're doing what we do and and it. kind of where we've been and where we're going awesome. with the cool, national like flood insurance program. Down. Yeah. <laughs> and and they have some cool stuff. I love it. And yeah, lots yeah. of tools. Yeah. So oh, this is great. So with the planning piece, our job, all the people that I talked about in here, all the agencies that are represented in the states, every plan that we have includes all of our federal partners, all of our state partners, any local jurisdictions, private industry people. And our non-governmental organizations, voluntary organizations, and, and um, philanthropic organizations, who whose job is focused on either preparedness, or disaster response, or disaster recovery. So we pull all those people together, and talk about what if, right? And we use science and scientists and modeling and all of that stuff to get the very best intelligence that we can gather to paint a picture of what those impacts would be like. So that map over there, which you guys can't on the on the radio on the podcast won't be able to hear, but this one over on the right is all about the impacts. So the red obviously is the worst and then it comes yellow and then it becomes green. What this doesn't tell you is that whether so the red is obviously the worst right because Mm -hmm. that's where the that and that what that line that you see with the triangles on it is actually the the line of the subduction zone so that's what that is if the earthquake happens obviously those closest are going to be impacted the most and as it goes red orange yellow green 
it gets the impacts are less. What it doesn't say, and it would never say, is that they're not impacted at all. The green is still going to be impacted at least for a uh, some point in time because power is going to be interrupted and roads in and out are going to be impacted, right? right? But they might not, they probably won't feel the shaking over the Cascades. The Cascades will most likely absorb most of that seismic activity, which creates, you know, its own, its own <laughs> issues. Just, yeah, I know, right? right? <laughs> Landslides but, but there, But there, again, we've got the Olympics in between and the Puget Sound in between that. So as we head east, the farther east you head from wherever the epicenter, or if this thing unzip like a zipper, which is one of, it's the greatest, the, well, you know, so most, most earthquakes have a single epicenter, right? Uh -huh. And they shake in that place, and that's the shaking that's the hardest. Part of one of the worries about Cascadia is that it would start in a single place, and either if it started at the southern end or the northern end, it would unzip down, or it starts somewhere anywhere not on either end and it would go from either end north and south so the potential for it to impact all the way from vancouver island all the way down to northern california right is that's why we have this plan right we know that it's it's going to be bad we just don't know how bad so our job is to do our best to plan for that and to talk to people and to not frighten people because that's again Fear factor generally paralyzes people into wanting to not do anything right. or run away or just bury their heads in the sand. That's the worst thing that we could ever do in the line of preparedness. So our job has been, over the course of the last six or seven years, is trying to educate people and to say, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty bad and there are still things you can do to increase your survivability and the sustainability of yourselves if for some reason something bad happens and you're cut off and you can't just drive away, right? And you don't just happen to have a helicopter in your back pocket that you just add a couple of drops of water to and it turns on and it's got fuel. And you can Jeff Bezos. <laughs> right? Looking at you, Jeff. <laughs> right. And every disaster that we have, whether it's here or Puerto Rico or Texas or all of those things, they all offer us lessons learned on how to better prepare, better educate, better provide services in order to recover. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I'm also slightly terrified now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm glad that someone is watching out for all of these things because like where we start with, you know, the kind of people get paralyzed is that our whole thing has been just think of whether you have a bag first. Do you have a bag you could put stuff in mm -hmm. if you needed to go somewhere? Do you, now just go get five gallons of water. Just just go get them. Five just, gallon jugs. Just have a go. five. Just have five gallons of water. So like trying to like break it down mm -hmm. into the like we're not trying to put pressure on you. It takes us six months to like put the stuff we have all this stuff we just put it in a bag <laughs> like you know what I mean like so we try and come at it at a stance yeah. where like we realize everyone has their like normal lives and all those things but like that that feeling of being overwhelmed because I think that's how we started the podcast is like you just start thinking about it 
and it's, you just, it's, it's scary. It's too much. Yeah. Or you have a visualization of it's only crazy people who spend time. Yeah, the preppers on TV. Doing it, yeah. And I so have to tell you, when he told me about that. prep yourself, I said, oh my God, are those crazy preppers? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, to be truthful, I think they are maybe crazy, but they're yes. actually talking about disaster preparedness prep yourself. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. Because I'm the, first, I'm the person sure. who will do that, right? I'm like, hmm, well, so what kind of people are they? I mean, do I need to talk to them about that? When we walked didn't, in, we didn't have camo on. We didn't wear no, I'm camo blazers today. <laughs> I, I'm kind but of disappointed. Yeah, but the thing is, your podcast is really what, what FEMA is focusing on a lot, um, which is the culture of preparedness. And we want to build that culture and get people thinking and talking about preparedness, not from this big, huge, scary, we need to get everything done, but yeah. how do we start that? How do we start at the ground level and, and, and work our way up? So we're building this culture of preparedness, and, and your guys are very are very good at that. Aww, Slowly thank but you. surely. Yeah. <laughs> stop recording because it locked itself. <laughs> <laughs> We're good at technology. <laughs>